Well, good evening, everyone. It is truly a joy for me to be with you all tonight. Um, who are we missing? What faces are we missing? Can we name them? Okay, yes, yes. Okay. Okay, that's about it? That's, that's all that we're missing tonight? Okay. Just want to see, make sure we know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. Okay. Well, let's, we'll keep them in prayer uh, tonight as they're, as they're away from us. Um, it's a joy for me to, to be able to, to say to you, please open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 2. Oh, that's fine. If you guys need lights, yeah? If you, you want to be able to see your Bibles, unless they're illuminated Bibles. Okay, right? That would work. You could invent that. <laughs> right? That'd be pretty cool. Okay. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 is our text tonight. And as you're turning there, I want to ask, what is that one thing in your life that has brought you the most joy? In fact, what's that one thing that you have perhaps even searched for or saved up for or tried to find in this world that would bring you the highest amount of joy? Well, you'll soon discover in your search that this joy cannot be bought with money. Solomon teaches us that truth all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. But, but, hold on one second. What about an experience that will bring you the utmost joy on earth? What about going to Six Flags? What about skydiving? What about scoring your first points uh, in a professional sport? What about meeting your favorite celebrity? We could go on down the line. What about that experience? Think about perhaps that experience that you've had or that you wish you might have. Now, God says all these things are okay, and these things will come and, and go, and they'll fade away. Uh, just personally, real quick, if you don't mind, my greatest joys on earth have been, and I think always will be, the day that I married my wife. And just about equal to that is the first moment that I was able to lay my eyes upon, the, the first moment that I was able to, to lay my eyes upon each of my children when I first saw them. Those are the greatest joys in my life that, that still give me chills when I think about it. Okay? Um, and, and I'll never forget these things, and, and I'll always cherish them deeply in my heart. But even those things can sort of fade. They can sort of fade over time. But I believe that the very day that the Magi saw the Christ child must have been stamped upon their hearts and eyes and minds until the day they died and met him again in heaven. And if I were to title this, this lesson tonight, it would be when the Magi meet the Majestic. And so together with that, I'd like us to read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. This is our text for the evening. The word of God reads, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them 
until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, briefly recapping, in in chapter 1 of Matthew, we see that Matthew lays out the genealogies proving Jesus' right to the throne of David, king of Israel. The prophecy of the virgin birth has been fulfilled. Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. He is, as you saw last week, Emmanuel. This is God in the flesh, our eternal perfect king. And that brings us to chapter 2. Being one of the world's greatest, most mysterious stories, which is nothing less than a true story. This is a historical account. Don't forget that, dear students, tonight. This is a true historical account. And and right up front in this account, we see that in the birth of this child, God is doing something strange and awesome. The eternal Son of God becomes one of us to transform the darkness of human history into hope and light for the nations. Everything in this passage that we just read tonight serves the divine project of God. Nature is even shown to be at this child's service in the form of a guiding star. And the safe escape of the traveling magi indicates that evil is overcome by good. Which brings me to my theme, how evil plans fail and God's sovereign plans will prevail. Which brings us to point number one, the Magi's pursuit to worship. The Magi's pursuit to worship. In our first verse, Matthew announces three main characters in this drama of good and evil being played out. Who do we have? Jesus, Herod, and the Magi. We see that Jesus was born in the exact town that was prophesied in which he'd be born in, which was where? Where was Jesus born? And it was prophesied that he'd be born there. Bethlehem. And that he would be born in the time in which a certain king ruled, which was Herod. And who arrived in Jerusalem from the east? The Magi. Good. I just want to make sure that we're tracking together. Okay. About 5% of us. That's good. Okay. We'll walk, we'll, I want to talk briefly about Herod just, just a little bit, but the, the, in, that'll be in a moment. But the, the question most certainly is who in the world are the Magi? That's a pretty cool sounding name, right? Something straight out of Star Wars, right? Yeah. But who are they? Now, just, we're going to talk just for a brief second about what we don't know about them and a little bit about what we do know about them. We, first of all, right off the bat, we don't know how many of them there were, okay? We don't. We can sing, we three kings of Orient are. It's a good song. We don't know if there were three kings, okay? Um, a lot of people think, a lot of historians say it's, it was three because of the three gifts that they brought, okay? It could be, but it could have been five. It could have been 10. It could have been 20. We don't know. In fact, there's a church in the 6th century in, in Italy, which I don't know wh- where they got this information, but they said the three names of, the three, of these three um, magi were Melchor, Gaspar, and Balthazar. Now, don't, don't go around telling your parents, I know the names of the three wise men, because we don't know that for certain, okay? And we also don't know their exact hometown where they came from. We don't. But we do have a good idea that it's probably in the Persia, Babylon, Arabia area. And we'll see why in in just a moment. And by the way, if that is the case, if that's the area in which they were at, that's roughly some 800 miles that they traveled to worship the child. Now, when we think of these magi, and just, just for the fun of it, here's how you say it in Greek, magoi. Okay? When we think of these magi, okay, or magi, as astrologers, because they are observing what in verse 2? What are they observing in verse 2? 
stars. And astrology was considered a learned occupation back then. However, from the perspective of the Jewish people, magi looked to the stars for answers that only are supposed to come from God. Okay? Uh, the word magi is also found in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 13, where it's translated magician or sorcerer. And from the perspective, again, of the Jewish people, magi work magic using demonic powers. They are far from the kingdom of God, which makes these magi especially useful for Matthew's purposes as he shows how the Messiah brings salvation even to the Gentiles. And in this case, Gentiles who are magicians, sorcerers. Now, as a side note, astrology, horoscopes are still popular today. You go into the, you'll see in the grocery stores, you'll see it on the news, you'll see it on the, on the computer, on the internet. Um, and that's all about trying to, f what's my future hold for my life? And they try and find that purpose in the skies, in the stars. And people are truly sold out to these things. So it's still active today. And the, the fact that Matthew treats these magi kindly in this text does not mean that astrology is acceptable to God because God is the one who is in control of all history and all times, not the stars. Okay, he's the one who made the stars. He's the one who holds them in his hand. God's use, though, of a star to guide these magi to Jesus was a one-time event. And God's primary means of revelation is not the stars, but what? What is God's primary means of revelation to us that we need? The Bible. The Bible, the scriptures, okay? Easy way to remember that, not the stars, the scriptures. Stars, scriptures, right? We depend upon the scriptures, not the stars, not the wisdom of man. And most significantly here, though, the wise men are Gentiles, as we've already mentioned. Matthew's gospel is very Jewish, but he introduces these Gentile worshipers at the very beginning of his gospel, preparing us for Jesus's last words to his disciples, which were, go therefore and make disciples of all, what? N help me, I'm dying here. Nations. nations. And these magi represent truly all nations, being Gentiles. And now just real briefly, a couple more points about the Magi. We can actually go back to Daniel chapter 2, verses, verse 48, and you can go to Daniel chapter 5, verse 11, and you can see that when Daniel was made ruler by Nebuchadnezzar, when he was made ruler over the province of Babylon and chief over all the wise men, the, the Magi, he was made chief over in Babylon. And with the revelation that the angel Gabriel gave in Daniel chapter 9 about the coming Messiah, he probably passed along to the Magi the need to watch for strange tidings in Judea about this time when Jesus was born. Because when you look in Daniel chapter 9, it's, it kind of maybe seems confusing about the 70 weeks there, but it's his precise timing. They would know from that passage that it's about 4 to 6 BC in which the Messiah would be born. So it's kind of exciting to think about that. And it's, and it's, it's kind of cool to think about to know that these magi had some knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures because some of them probably were left over too from the time of the Babylonian exile. So there's a lot of history here that we can't go over. That's just a little bit for us to chew on. Now these magi travel hundreds and hundreds of miles. And notice the end of verse one. You see that there? In the end of verse one, it says, they were saying, uh, the Greek tense, the Greek understanding of this, of this word in the Greek language is that these magi were constantly going around. They kept on asking people everywhere. Just by this phrase here, they were saying, right? Like if I was to tell my wife, you know, hey, hey, Angie, you know, the, the kids, they were saying today, you know, they, they really wanted to go to Six Flags. 
It wasn't just a one-time asking if I said they, they were saying. They were constantly saying throughout the day, when are we going to Six Flags? So too the Magi, they were going throughout Judea constantly. Going into the coffee shops. Going in the temple. Going down, down the shops. Hey, they kept saying. What did they keep saying? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. These are strangers. These are foreigners out of nowhere's land. Now in Judea, and they have no shame going everywhere and about, asking them, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Bam. <laughs> they're on a mission. And they're excited. And isn't this amazing? Only the wise men recognize the significance of this unusual star. Now, yes, they studied the skies more than others. But still, this should have been maybe perhaps noticeable to others. I wonder if Daniel also passed along to them the book of Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17 which would signal them about the advent of God's Son. You know what Numbers 24, 17 says? I didn't think so. You want to know what it says? I see him, but not now. Behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. They knew that that star signaled the coming of the Messiah. They knew he had to be both human and divine. This is why they came to worship the one who had been born. And in verse 2, we see they saw the star. This is a special star, wouldn't you say? This is his star, which the controlling, powerful hand of God provided for them. MacArthur says, it was a supernatural reality similar to the Shekinah glory which guided the Israelites in the days of Moses. And so they traveled by faith to Jerusalem to pursue worshiping this child. What, is, what does our text say? What did they say? We have come to worship him. Please notice the text doesn't say, we've come to study this star. We've come to worship this star because even, you know, in the days of Abraham, Abraham was a, a moon worshiper. This was common. They didn't say anything about that. We have come to worship him. Wait a second. I thought this story was all about the star. Or even the Magi themselves or Herod. No, this is about Christ. And dear youth group tonight, this is the believer's pursuit. This is the Christian's pursuit. This is the label that, that's tattooed across in your heart, okay? We have come to worship Christ. This is our pronouncement here at youth group, at church, everywhere. We have come to worship him. And, and now just a brief side note on worship. If I were to ask you what is worship, I, I'm curious is to see maybe what would you say? Do one definition, one sentence. What is worship? I'm sure we get lots of good answers. But I found one that's from William Temple, lived about 300 years ago. And he summarizes worship like this. To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. And if I were to think of one passage just right off the bat, what is worship? Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Please memorize those two verses. Add that to your memorization. Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Paul says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, in light of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the perfect will of God. That is worship. Worship is not a moment. Yes, it's, it is a moment. It is in singing. It's in all of these things. It's even in the pursuit of the Magi. But worship is a lifestyle. It is an attitude. It is a mindset. It is saying, all I do, I want to do for God's glory in joyful obedience. And we see these Magi, we see these Gentiles on their way. The wise men 
don't come to make him king. Please, please note that. They don't come to make him king. They come to acknowledge that he is king. And we'll see their continued worship by the gifts they bring in a moment. But first, first, we sadly see the pursuit of the Magi's worship is offset by the hatred of Herod, which brings us to point two. The madman's passion to stop worship, verses three to eight. Now briefly, who is this Herod? Who is this? This is Herod the Great. And he is the happiest, kindest man you've ever met. That's a joke. Herod, the the name Herod means hero, means warrior. And he is one of several rulers who ruled in Judea during the lifetime of Christ when it was a part of the Roman Empire. So he was a Roman-appointed king in Judea. He built many fortresses, aqueducts. I've been to Israel before, and I've even seen a lot of his remains are still standing because of how well they were built. Fortresses, aqueducts, theaters, um, coliseums, other building projects, and even the rebuilding of the temple. Um, So this, this Herod, he was smart, and he was powerful. But he was strong-willed, and he was despicable. Paranoia of losing his throne cost many of his own family members their lives. He murdered his favorite wife. Yes, he had several. He murdered his favorite wife over jealousy. He murdered her mother. He murdered two of her sons and one of his oldest sons, He murdered also because he thought that he was plotting to kill him, but he wasn't. (laughs) The Roman emperor Augustus, who was evil enough as it is, said this about Herod. Quote, it was better to be Herod's pig than his son. (laughs) Herod couldn't face the idea of losing power someday. He also had a brother whom he didn't care much for, but because this brother of his became deathly ill, he died from a certain sickness, so Herod didn't have to kill him. He was a cruel, selfish, violent, paranoid, jealous murderer. So with Herod's hunger for power, with his hunger for power to always remain king, Is it any wonder that he felt threatened by the announcement of the birth of this Jewish king? He is shaking in his boots by the report of a rival who has been born, one who is the true and rightful heir to the throne of David, not Herod and not anyone else. So verse three tells us he was troubled and disturbed in his soul by the news and and. And all of Jerusalem with him, the scripture says. Now, did you see that? It says Herod wasn't the only one troubled. It says all of Jerusalem. Why do you think maybe all of Jerusalem was also um, troubled and disturbed along with Herod at the news of this child? Because they know that this will mean if Christ does take over, it means a bunch of bad stuff. Okay. Like... Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good thought. What else? What else? Why, why, why would they be? Yeah. Maybe if he gets really mad that he can't find the child, he'll take it out on them. Ah, yeah. 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 Because they know he is insane and won't stop until he kills every child that could threaten him. That's right. That's right. You're going to get there next week in that passage. Good. You, you, so you guys understand. All of Jerusalem was troubled with them. Afraid of what Herod might do throughout the land. And you know what? Kind of what was said earlier, Matthew could also be referring to Jerusalem's later rejection of the true king of the Jews. Remember what Simeon told Mary? He is a sign that will be opposed. He will be rejected even at this age. Even as a cute little two and a half foot, three foot child. So after the initial shock that Herod had in hearing that Christmas had come to town, he gathers, in verse 4, all the people who know the scriptures for what purpose? To see where the Christ child was to be born. 
And please notice in verse five, they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written. Notice here, they didn't have to go unroll the scrolls or go do a Google search on the internet. They knew their Bibles. They knew the Old Testament very well. They knew exactly where the Messiah was to be born. But as MacArthur rightly observes, they lacked the faith to go with the Magi to the place where he was. Shame should be upon their head. They know this. Let me ask you this. Do you know your Bibles very well and yet don't want to be with Christ and don't want to know him more and don't want to worship him more? even as the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests who knew it well. So the chief priests and scribes lay out what passage is this? That he's prophet, that, that the prophecy that came to pass? Micah chapter 5, verse 2. What, what the chief scribes and, and, and priests lay out for Herod? Micah 5, verse 2. And the fact of this very precise prophecy coming to pass in Herod's day, it should have humbled him. At the reading of that scripture, right in his presence, at the quotation of that scripture, right in his presence, that should have crushed him. That should have humbled him. He should have repented, and he shouldn't have tried to cancel Christmas. He should have been celebrating Christmas. Instead, he was trying to destroy it. But verse 7 he secretly meets with the Magi to see when the star appeared. See, the scribes, the chief priests, they, sh- they show him where in the scriptures. And now here, the Magi, when the star appeared. He wants to know how old the child is. Sounds good, right? This is a good question, Herod. But the Magi don't know Herod. Remember, they're foreigners. They don't know his reputation and how he works and how deceitful he is. And Herod's hypocrisy and trickery gets even worse in verse 8. It gets even worse. Look what he says in verse 8. A search for him carefully, so that I may too come and worship him. Sounds good, right? I mean, it probably sounded good to the Magi too. Oh yeah, cool, great. We found it, we saw it, we're nearby. (laughs) The king, the king wants wants to come and worship him too. (laughs) Question. This is a yes or no. And we should shout this really loud (laughs) and know this for certain. Did he really want to go and worship the child? No. No. Examination time. Hypocrisy check. Ready? Do you say that you come to worship the Lord when in reality you, you actually have other plans? I'm not saying murderous plans like Herod. (laughs) But other plans, maybe not so quite up to the level of worship, but you come for other reasons mainly. This madman's passion to stop the worship of this child by murdering him is unsuccessful. Which brings us to point three. The magnificent plan unfolds finally into full worship, verses 9 to 12. And in verse 9, look at what it says. After hearing the king, they went their way. Hold on one second. Hold on. These foreigners who have traveled some 800 miles in search of the Messiah, who is king and savior of the world, are the only ones going? (sighs) It is only six miles away. You understand? I've been there. I've, de- I've taken the trek there. It is roughly six miles from Bethlehem, from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. Why didn't Herod go with them? We could also ask the question, why didn't the, the chief priest the, who quoted the scriptures, why didn't they go with them? As you heard before, they lacked the faith. They didn't have the love. They didn't have the worship in their hearts. And we could talk about other reasons, but... Mainly, why was it only the Magi? Because God ordered it this way. God's sovereign plan for the salvation of his people comes in amazing and humble ways. And, and it can't be, his plan can't be crushed even if evil men think they are in charge, like Herod. Oh, this child, this child was going to be murdered, but not now and not in this way. 
Much like how Jesus says over and over in the Gospels, right? When they're trying to stone him or they're trying to throw him off of a cliff, what did Jesus say? My hour, my time has not yet come. And so the Magi went on their way, verse 9, and the star which they had seen. So, so, so this star that once appeared in their land disappeared in interval times and has now reappeared. Okay? This is, this is amazing. It had to be stunning and uh, for the Magi and, and so different. This is not like any other star. Yes, the stars, even to this very day, are used for knowing the times and the seasons and all these amazing things, but not this. This is literally out of this world. This is supernatural. And this supernatural star given by God leads and guides the wise men until it, listen, it came and it stood literally over the child. Now, pictures, movies, it you can't do it justice. Please, the ones that you've seen before, sure, enjoy them. That's not how it looked. We can't imagine how it looked. We can't imagine how it must have been. But it literally, the Greek it puts the emphasis that it was moving, appeared, reappeared, appeared, reappeared, and it stopped. <laughs> I remember being like, a, a, when, I was a, when I was a kid, even when I was a teenager starting to drive, I remember it was like a drive at night and I'd see the moon and I would try to drive and I'd try to get under it. Weird, I know. None of you probably had this weird thing. This was mine. And I would, I would either, at nighttime, I'd run, I'd be like, why can't I get any? I just want to get under it like this, like that. When I was driving or when I was, when I was walking or running. And it's interesting too, please understand this. Stars don't stand still, okay? Not one star you see in the sky is standing still, okay? It is moving at a rapid pace. We're, ro we're rotating on the earth at thousands of miles an hour. But it's like, why is it that doesn't seem like it's moving? And then, of course, you say, oh, wait, now Mars is over there. No, wait, okay, now. There's all this science behind it that we're not going to explain, but the farther away something is, okay, relative angular velocity, you'll learn that someday, but it's obvious if you're standing on the, on the street and a car comes by and the car's close to you, it's boom. But then when it goes down, you're like, it doesn't seem like it's moving that much because of distance. This star stands still. This is amazing. Now, how this star did this can only be left to the imagination and, 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 and not, not searching for astronomical proofs and as to how this happened, that's it, it, vain, okay? Because this is divine communication by God, much like the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night led the children of Israel. This is all ordered by God. And much like how God chose us for salvation, God chose the Magi, representing the nations of the world, to come and worship the only one worthy of worship, not the star, the child. And so please notice in verse 10, Please notice, what was their reaction knowing it had brought them to the promised one? What was their reaction? Joy. Okay, joy. Let's, let, uh, more so. What was their reaction? Awe. Okay, yeah? Yeah? Okay, we're getting there. Yep, we're getting there. Yeah. 800 miles. Right. <laughs> that too? <laughs> yep, for sure. For sure. What does the text say? Someone read to me what it says. Yeah. Okay. This is, stop. This is a quadruple way of saying they rejoiced, okay? It would have been much to say they rejoiced. That would have been enough. It would have been enough. It would have been more to say they rejoiced with joy. It would have been more to say they rejoiced with great joy, and even more so, as they said, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You can't stress it anymore. Question, how is your joy doing? Do you have joyful worship towards the Lord who bought you with his very life's blood? I mean, the Magi, he's just a child. He hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't been resurrected yet. The Magi don't know the information that you and I know. 
listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.8. Here's another great memory verse. 1 Peter 1.8. He says this of believers who long to be with Christ and to worship him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you, here we go, greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. I mean, when I read that, I think, man, Lord, my joy in you is lame. <laughs> but this is, this, is, this is the business. This is the life that we're to be in, rejoicing, because we have a, a risen, interceding Savior who is alive and well and on his throne. And he's coming again someday, and he'll bring his children home. Just a little bit to get us excited. Now, question. Does anyone know what peasants would do when coming before royalty or a king? What would they normally do when they came into the presence of the king? Yeah. They would fall on their faces. They would fall down on their faces. Not tonight, maybe another night. <clears throat> Seems kind of ridiculous, maybe. Doesn't it? I mean, so after the Magi have had their party and rejoiced to the heavens, like, can you see me? It feels at nighttime or is it daytime? It says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, I wonder what that looked like, what it sounded like, what songs they made up. What... After they rejoiced to the heavens, knowing the sign had brought them to the child king, they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Now, just really, do you have a picture? What a sight this must have been. They entered the home, the scripture says. So it's a home now. It's not, they're not in the manger anymore. Okay, so this is time. This is a year to two years, okay? They entered the home of Mary and Joseph. You got the picture? The two-year-old Jesus is there with Mary. And the wise men, the magi, representing the nations of the world, these Gentiles who are considered unclean, by the way, and rejected by the Jews, the Jews would call them dogs. Gentiles were known as dogs, filthy dogs. These men fell down to the ground in worship. Now, dear students tonight, this is either the most ridiculous scene in human history, or this toddler is the God-man the heir to the throne of David, Christ, the son of the living God. And if this is the case, then guess what? The Magi's response is the only proper response. And their worship doesn't stop there with their faces on the ground. We see the continuation of their joy, their joyful, sacrificial worship by giving what they've carried for so many miles, right? What gifts do they bring? Go ahead. Gold. Try again. Go. Gold. <laughs> you can say it backwards. That's fine. Yep. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, they, they must have probably ended up using some of this to exchange it for money because of the flight that they had to take to where are they having to go. And check? We're going to see this next week. Where, where's, where, what's the angel going to tell J Joseph to take his family Egypt. to? To Egypt, to get away from... Exactly, Herod the Horrible, good. Good, that's right. Now, they probably used their gold, frankincense. this is costly, costly, expensive, okay? Use that money to, for, for, for the babies, for food, for clothing, for travel, all of this, yes. But, but from the Magi's perspective, these gifts were costly gifts, worthy of a great king. They were seeking to honor this one who was king of the Jews. But the gifts of the Magi were significant on another level as well. Gold was the metal for kings. Frankincense was a sweet-smelling oil imported from Arabia that was used by priests in temple worship. And you see that a lot used in Leviticus. And myrrh was a fragrant, gummy substance which was used as medicine and as a perfume and as well as to embalm dead bodies. 
And <laughs> unbeknownst to the wise men, each of these gifts meant more than they could ever possibly have understood. One commentator summarizes the significance of each gift this way. Gold for a king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Frankincense for a priest. Hebrews tells us he is our great high priest who intercedes for us. And myrrh for one who was to die. These were the gifts of the wise men. And even at the cradle of Christ, they foretold that he was to be the true king the perfect high priest, and in the end, the supreme savior of men by dying for them. The birth of the Jewish Messiah was noted by Gentile foreigners with these gifts, not the scribes and Pharisees who knew God's word. Where are they? You know where they're at? They're still back in Herod's temple seeking his favor and power from an evil man while at the same moment, the king of the universe has invaded the earth. Talk about missing Christmas. You talk about misplaced priorities, right? They should have been the ones to have brought these gifts to honor the child king. And here's a little, maybe something fun you can do sometime. In Psalm 72 and Isaiah 60, you'll see that those are prophecies of the Messiah concerning those precise gifts that were brought to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, being given to ascribe authority, kingship, and praise. Crazy, isn't it? While Herod's evil plan to kill is failing, the plan of God is unfolding into worship, the exaltation of this child king who, by the way, holds the universe in his hands. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Understand that? Even as a child... Yes, the Father is, the Holy Spirit is, but the very Son of God, the eternal Son of God, even as a little cute toddler, is sustaining the universe by the word of his power. If that doesn't blow your mind, okay, then go watch your movies that blow your mind. Herod cannot derail God's plan for salvation, the salvation of the world. And by the way, dear students, the Herods of the world are no match for God. The Herods of the world today, in whichever way, I don't care if it would be a president or even something weird like with COVID and, how, and, then, and then persecution for our brothers and sisters here or across the lands, the Herods of the world are no match for God. The Herods of the world do not want to see you obeying Jesus Christ. may not always seem like that, but you go across the world, you go to a different state even, in the United States that you live in, and you'll start to feel it. You'll start to see it. But their plans, man's plans, as much as they might hurt us, they will fail. And they will be even used to God's glory in, in, in our suffering under Herod's hand. But the Herods of the world are no match for God. And so God's plans, his sovereign plans of protection for the child and fulfillment of prophecy extends into a dream telling the Magi not to return to Herod in verse 12. <laughs> that had to have been a surprise for the Magi, right? They go to sleep that night or however many days later it was, right? <laughs> and, and the Lord communicates to them in a dream. Go, another route. And what do they do? First of all, there's probably surprise. Second of all, they obey and the child's life is preserved. But the narrative, this drama is, this difficult adventure isn't over yet, as you'll see next week when God tells Joseph to flee Egypt. And, and then you'll see next week how, how Herod thinks he's been tricked by the Magi. He hasn't been tricked by the Magi. God tricked him. The Magi were planning on going back and telling Herod. God tricked Herod. Um. Just a couple of questions and a little application as we wrap up our time. Number one, are you a Herod? Again, I know you, you know who Herod is now, right? But what do I mean when I ask you the question, are you a Herod? What I mean is, is Christ on the throne of your heart or is someone else or something else? Are you on the throne of your heart? Is Jesus Christ the one who predominantly rules your mind 
and life, or is life all about your little kingdom, just like it was for Herod? You know what Jesus said in the book of Matthew, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and anything else. It's either him or everything else. Second question, are you a magi? In other words, do you seek after Christ like they did? I mean, our seeking and our worship of him should be infinitely greater because we know more than they. We don't seek after a star or a feeling or a man's wisdom or, or, or an emotion, but we seek after Christ and we're led by Christ in his word that cannot be moved, not like a star, but in his word. Is your life characterized by joyful, sacrificial worship to him who came to be born so that we might be born again? To save you from sin and its eternal consequences. Is your satisfaction in the king and the author of all life who by his living word guides you? Or are you trying to find satisfaction in the things of this temporal life according to man's wisdom? Briefly, in application. Okay, this is great, Chris. What do I do now? It's as simple as this. One point application. Are you ready? Adore your king. And I know you know how to adore him. And I'm just going to quickly remind you <laughs> some, some of the familiar ways that we adore him. Do you think, do you meditate upon who he is and what he has done? Just read Psalm 103 and see if that, see if that unites with your heart. Do you think upon the fact that you've been adopted, if you're in Christ, you've been adopted by this king into his kingdom? Think, meditate. Dear students, this world is easy to not think in. I mean, the, 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 the internet, the movies, the games, the stuff. It's just, it's just, uh, and they don't want you to think. The world doesn't want you to think. Your flesh doesn't want you to think. You have to be thinking. Your mind needs to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Why? The world wants to take your mind captive. The Herods of this world wants to take your mind captive. You have to be thinking. You have to be meditating upon his word. How about this one? Write out a prayer of thanksgiving to your king. I don't know if any of you do that. Sometimes I like to do that. Write it out specifically. See if you even can. And if you try to, and it's kind of like, and you can't even get one sentence out, then you need to be examining your heart and you need to be in his word more. You need to be beholding Christ and understanding the reality who he is and what he's done. And, and, and please understand this. Until sin, the sin that you know, the sin in your life, until sin be bitter and ugh, disgusting to you, Christ will not be sweet. You have to see that. You have to see your sin and you have to see what he's done to pay for your sin. What grace, what kindness. How about this one? Sing and make melody in your heart. I love what Drew said earlier. It's not about the beauty of how you sing and how you sound. It's about the beauty of your heart. Are you singing and making melody to your king who is coming again? He's coming again. Sing to him. I don't care if it's in the shower. I don't care if other people laugh at you, other brothers and sisters laugh at you. Look at what the Magi did. They came all that way. They don't even know that they're strangers. Get out of our land. No, we want to worship him. We fall down before this child. We fall down before the King of kings and Lord of lords who is interested in who is reigning, who is going to come back, establish his thousand-year kingdom, and we're going to rule and reign with him? Oh, man. You want to get excited? Study the scriptures and understand the reality of this. Because guess what? If you don't and you're bored by this, that's not God's problem. That's not the scriptures' problem. That's our problem if we're bored with the scriptures. Because someday you're going to die and if you're not in Christ, you're going to wake up. Boom! This is real? Oh, I should have bowed the knee. I should have repented. 
And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. May it be now. May it be today. And not then. Well, you will be bowing your knee. But it will be in the torments of the cries of the damned who did not repent and who loved everything but the one who bled and died for them. This is Christmas. And we should rejoice exceedingly with great joy, infinitely beyond the Magi. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your kindness and your patience towards us. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are in control of all things. You are in control of the Herods. And even though they may come at us, they are not just coming at us, Lord, we know, but they're coming after you. Um, as you have told us, Lord, that if they persecute us, it's not us they're persecuting, it's you. They hate you. And so, Lord, lover of our souls, uh, grant to us the strength and the wisdom to walk according to your word. May we behold Christ as never before. May we grow in your grace and knowledge. May we confess our sins and rejoice in the fact that you have washed them all away. You have paid for them. And you are king. You have blood on your robe that is because of us and because of our sin. And it's that very blood that washes away our, our sin. And that brings us to yourself. Lord, thank you for um, these students tonight. May they know you and may they make you known more so than the Magi. May we be stunned and amazed afresh and anew. And may we joyfully walk in sacrificial worship and obedience in our thinking, in our lip, and in our life. To your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.